last content episode of this season for the podcast of Like-Minded Deviants. I'm here with my good friends who've journeyed with me through the whole season, uh, John Michael, Lindy. Hey there. Hello. Hey there. We're <laughs> both here. So, all right, gentlemen. Today, I want we're we're kind of this is the culmination of this season, right? So we we started with kind of the narrative nature of truth. We talked about metaphors, then we got into evil, then we moved kind of transition to love, justice, kingdom of God. That took us really into economics. Um, and Dude, it's been a season, man. It has <laughs> been a season. Those topics. So if this entire arc, right? If if the entire arc of this season has been this long developing question. You look at it, honestly it is. It's this long developing question. Then this episode is the answer, right? And so hmm. I think the question is what is the answer? Right? We've we've talked about evil. We've talked about the kingdom of God and love and justice. We've talked about economics and politics. That's a long pretty pretty detailed question. And so the answer must be pr- something good right it's a pretty audacious question you're giving us man well Um, we're doing it it's a it's a question we kind of as this community are asking so i hope like this answer i hope the answer we have is indeed robust and i believe it is well i i i I hope i hope it is too (laughs) i i think it could really disappoint people but it shouldn't and the answer i would like to put forward is um it's us the answer, the answer is us. Yeah, the answer is us. I mean, you know, um, the answer is the people of God gathered. Hmm. Um, it's the, the, we call it the church, right? The ecclesia, the called out ones. Now, you know, some people even that listening to this, this entire, all these episodes, our podcast, they might have even been wounded by the church, been bothered by the church, been hurt by the church, been wrestling with the church. That's legitimate. We've felt some of that ourselves. In fact, that's part of the reasons why we're, we're weighing in. Remember, we're trying to deviate from the norm, but the answer still theologically is us. It's the gathering of the people of God according to the kind of logic as to what we 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 know to be, to recognize that we are a living narrative of truth, that we are a community that lives a story, and that we live that story in light of the crackness of the cosmos of this evil that we saw that's within us, within our own hearts, in our own community, but certainly is out there, is even kind of um, um, kind of soaked down into the soil of the earth. You know, mm. the, the, the actual cosmos itself is cracked. Um, and, and that our, our, our focus is to be this living, gathered communal story that answers this problem of evil, to show that how in our midst and to other people, how, remember the different things we talked about, how grace, love, justice, and the dream of God that it all culminates in is potentially found within our very DNA, the DNA of of who we are. And it's constituting as as characteristics of who we are and who we're becoming. So we as the church, need to discover the resources. Remember way back, I think JM made a big, uh, you know, kind of a really emphasis on it, is we are called to be who we are. You know, something's been done in us through grace. And so we are to live up to our identity. 
um, that we are the gathered and reconstituted people of God, the pathetic serving and suffering people who are willing, even through our very presence, to flip power on its head by prophetically and counterculturally and collectively living in such a way that we counter the ways of the world. Um, we counter the ways of the cosmos, of the arrangement of things to now. So th that's why we take up the weapons of worship and of prayer, because we're headed toward um, and looking skyward, if you will. I know he's sure. not in the sky. <laughs> I know God's not in the sky, but the, you know we're 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 looking up. We're looking our out. We're looking transcendently, and this is also why we go about our daily lives informed by this weird story. That's a, a, a kind of a countervailing political weapon against the powers. It's the weapons at our disposal. They seem really foolish. Again, you know, look at us. We're the answer. But this is the foolish, you know, kind of a pathetic God. And this is the pathetic story. This is the story that 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 partic that allows us to participate and get involved. And so we're those who are not acquainted with this mystery of how such a broken and even sometimes soiled community can actually be used in the hands of God to change things. But we we have these secret weapons, and they're kind of almost like a jujitsu sort of a of a way to expose the lies of of dead of the deadly worldly configuration. Of course, we we fall short so often in this, sure. but that doesn't mean we don't have potential to be like this. Because again, remember, we're the community that follows this Jesus. We're the Christomorphic community. We're the community that should be fashioned after his shape and after his style. So the answer is us. I'm hearing and, in my in my mind like an objection to this, and something that I've I've heard before, kind of in in the evangelical church and, and elsewhere. Um, but the it's like, well, the kingdom the kingdom of God has been established, sure. Right, but that's that's different than like us, right? Like right. God's kingdom and us are different. Um, and even us, like earlier in the season when we talked about the kingdom of God, um, we kind of made the point like we don't build the kingdom; we build for the kingdom. Only God builds God's kingdom. That's um, right. And so I can see that almost as this objection. It's like, yeah, but like, what are we going to do about it? If if building God's kingdom is God's job, then like, what do what do we do? So I guess the question is like, what's the difference between the kingdom of God and the people of God? Like it's what's, a great where, question. Where, where's that intersection, right? Well, it's a great question because we get it messed up so often, right? We sure. get we either rip them apart and say they have no link, right? And we're just going to ignore the people of God gathered, us, and this special sort of uh, empowerment of the Spirit of God in our midst, this, this spiritual community. Or we align them so much that we equate them, you know, that we are everything mm. that God wants to do. And that's just ludicrous, even sure. when we're doing our best. But there is a special relationship, a unique relationship between the dream of God, the kingdom of God, the reign of God, and the people of God. And this, I, one of the things that I really have found very nourishing to think this through is to, to clean, lean back into, um, you know, the, the Roman Catholic Church back in the late 50s, early 60s. It, it, it actually convened in the early 60s, but in the late 50s, um, Pope, uh, the Pope called a special council we call it vatican ii mm -hmm. to re-look at some of the theological tenets that root the church in who it's supposed to be and right. one of the many things that they decided there is they started to recognize that um it's it's biblical teaching and good theology to see the church 
as what they called the sacrament of the kingdom. So there's your relationship, right? The church is the sacrament of the kingdom. Now, for those of us who don't know anything about sacrament, that kind of falls like a thud. Because, I mean, what in the world does that mean? But the point of it is, if you go back to the Augustinian definition of a sacrament, which is historically uh, rolled out in this way, it's a sacrament is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. In other words, an outward and visible signal that something inward and spiritual God has done is actually present. If the church is an outward and visible sign of the inward and spiritual um, arrival of the kingdom of God, at least in down payment and kind of in foretaste in the world, waiting for God to do the ultimate kind of uh, reorganization and restoration, the ultimate healing of the cosmos, then we are called again to live according to that and to be who God wants us to be amongst each other and toward others so that we can show what the the kingdom of God looks like. Now, another way that I think that this, and that's all, all fine and good. The problem is then what does that tangibly look at, right. look like? Well, there's another thinker, a great ecumenical thinker, um, the great missionary statesman to South India, uh, missiologist Leslie Newbigin, who in the end of his book, Foolish, yeah, he's a great, great thinker. I mean, I'd recommend anybody go look at anything he's put For out. Real, he, yeah. he, he was an astounding kind of hero of mine personally. Mm. And he wrote this book, uh, amongst many books he wrote, at the end of the 90s, or the middle of the 90s, called Foolishness to the Greeks. And toward the end, he makes this kind of almost casual statement that the church, according to Vatican II teaching, should be the sacrament of the kingdom in, and this is what Newbigin says, in three different ways. He says the church should be a, a sacrament of the kingdom by being a means of the kingdom. It should be a sacrament of the kingdom, an outward and visible sign of an inward spiritual visitation of the kingdom in our midst by being a foretaste of the kingdom. And it should be a sacrament of the kingdom by being a sign of the kingdom. Now, just very briefly, and then we can you know, allow this to fuel our conversation amongst us as we go forward, this idea of these threefold kind of function of us being a sacrament of the kingdom. Um, remember, we said, like you said, you, we're not called to build the kingdom. We're called to manifest the kingdom, to show the kingdom has arrived. It's amongst us. But we do that in, in, by being the, the sacrament or the, the, the community gathered that's a means of God's visitation. And this kind of tends to be more of the kind of like the social justice component. We should be doing works of, of social justice, of siding with the poor, of, of caring for the marginalized, of standing up politically against injustice, whatever, that, that, that God can, through us, can do something in our communities now and mm. change the cracked alignment that's in our neighborhoods, in our uh, provinces, in our states, in our countries, and in the world. The second thing, and that tends to be the social justice component, you know, the, the, the mainline kind of conciliar churches that are really focused on social justice and social action and what have you, um, they do this really well. Sure. The second is that the church should be a foretaste of the king. Um, this is kind of the charismatic or the Pentecostal or even the worship Kind of manifestation. There should be some place on the corner of your 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 favorite um, two streets that intersect on the, the 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 corner of Fifth and Main Street, where you can invite people or go yourself and taste 
the Lord and know that he is good. That there's a, a down payment, a foretaste, almost an ordering of what the kingdom will look like someday. And then the third one is we need to be a, uh, a sacrament of the kingdom by being a sign of the kingdom. And this is more kind of almost the overt witness evangelistic component, um, the witness component. And this is when people need to know where their lives are or should be heading, and they're lost, they don't have any meaning to life, we should be able to be almost a signpost pointing them in the proper direction. So I think in it, this outward invisible sign of an inward spiritual grace in a way that's a means, a foretaste, and a sign. And if you think about it, each of these has its own giftings, its own, um, in Roman Catholic teaching, they call it charisms its own, you know, kind of promptings by God that certain people are going to be better at being a, a social justice means person. Certain people are going to be better at doing the worship charismatic foretaste element. Some people are going to be better at being overt witnesses and signaling and signing where we are headed and what God wants us to be. And that's great. We need to almost become the community that allows for all three of these and actually even prays and recruits that all three of these would happen. And to the degree we get lopsided in one or two, excluding two, one or two others, to that degree, we're not being the fullness of the manifestation of the kingdom in a certain place. And I think out of all this basically comes our primary function, and that is a function of being a community in the midst of being a social justice, charismatic Pentecostal evangelistic witness, being means, foretaste, and sign, that we are a people that constantly pray, that mm -hmm. constantly are prayer, that are constantly looking vertically and recognizing that we can't do this by ourselves. But we also become a community that is not politicized. I'm not talking about right versus left here. I'm not talking about labor versus uh, conservatives. I'm not talking about Republicans versus Democrats, but we should be not politicized, but we're going to have to get involved in politics. In other words, we have something to say about the proper use of power, and we need to be a community that recognizes and dethrones improper use of power. We do all of that, even if we do it imperfectly, we will be a sign uh, to others. We will be a light set upon a hill. You know, we will be salt uh, that is, is worth seasoning that which is rotting in, in that which is around us will be, will be the answer to the crackness of the cosmos. So a couple, couple of questions. So first question, how are you defining prayer, the practice of prayer? Mm -hmm. um, what does that kind of look like in like, a, I guess more of like that prophetic uh, posture, you know, right. out of right. that social justice standpoint, because like to me, I'm not going to lie, like uh, not, not really even just pushing back, just more of like, it feels like I see a lot of people saying that today, that they're doing this. Thoughts and prayers. Right? You know yep. what I'm saying? Yeah, and That's this like colloquial thing in our culture, right? I think what you're hitting exactly. on is really important, John Michael, is like, oh, thoughts and prayers. It's like, what are we doing? What are yeah. we doing? Exactly. And then I also see people that are doing a lot of things in the name of the church that I can think personally are quite harmful and not at all in the name of that that are just running in so like what help me out with this here like either one of you like what's going on well i mean i i i think you're right we got to redo 
we got to rethink about prayer. And I won't even go into the whole issue of, you know, the conundrum of why do we tell God what God already knows? Um, I think that's a simplistic <laughs> yeah. kind of silly view of prayer. Prayer is essentially communion with God and in almost in a, in a, in a sitting before the divine to recognize what our uh, identity is and how small and how ineffectual we will be unless mm. we are in relationship with this God. But then we, 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 what God are we in relationship to? We're in relationship to the God that we've just looked at for many, many weeks. We're in relationship to the, as we've been calling him, the pathetic God. Not pathetic as in despicable, but pathetic as in the God who's willing to be weak and in that who becomes powerful. Now, if mm. you think about this, this gives significance to prayer. Because, you know, if, you, if, if you're not in a church circles, if you're not in, in mosque circles, if you're not at a Hindu temple, if you're out in the, the halls of the government and whatever, and in the midst of all this difficulty, you stop for prayer, first of all, it looks like you're imposing religion upon the, the public square. But secondly, you know, we got work to do. It's kind of like mm -hmm. you were saying, uh, JSF, you know, thoughts and prayers. And it seems like a big <laughs> cop out, like it's a big cop out. But you know what? Prayer done in the way that we're talking about here is an act of poverty. Mm. It's a recognition that we have no resources really to address these issues. And unless we get aligned deeply with the God, the only one who can handle all of this, we will end up being anemic in all of our actions. Mm. So prayer is essentially a turn to the only one who is pathetic and emptied and, and servant-like, and yet remains powerful and remains the cosmic Christ who holds the universe together. Unless we return to that one, we will never be able to, A, become who we are, are to be, right? We'll not, we'll not become who God wants us to be. We will not be infused by the power of God to be different and to be changed and be holier and to be just and what have you. But also we will have no impact and no effect upon the world because this is too big for us. Hmm. But then secondly, when we pray, <laughs> because you know we're supposed to be a prayerful community, we also should be a political community that is what gives us our first step in regard to what kind of politics we're talking about. Um, I remember there was a, a, a University of Chicago Divinity School theologian who said, frankly, theology is simply heavenly politics. Hmm. Because, you know, it's, it's where power is decided and what it should look like and what have you. I think prayer is sort of political discourse. Sure. Because what it does is it says that this is, you know, we're, we're tapped into God. And we should um, be doing things in God's way, and we should be risking in the way that God risked in Christ. That's why we take up our cross and we we head our we resolutely set our face to Jerusalem. We are we are a crucified people, and that is a political act. I mean, that's why he died upon a political death instrument, sure. right? But and remember, on that instrument, lying, you know, hanging there and dying pathetically, he prays more than once, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. There's, you know, it's, it's on, he gives up the ghost. Prayer is a political act. It's an act of weakness that's actually powerful. It's tapped into the divine spirit, but it also is an act of power in and of itself. That's why whenever um, the um, 
the, 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 the nonviolent focus that Martin Luther King Jr. led the civil rights movement in. That's why when Gandhi was marching to the sea in regard to the salt march, those were political acts. They looked weak, but they were bathed in kind of a surrender to that which was greater than them. The last thing I'll say, and you know, is this idea, you know, we 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 recognize this each and every time we pray the the the, the Lord's Prayer, the, the Our Father. We've I think we said this in earlier episodes, you know, that 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 God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. We lean upon this movement toward heaven, the Father who's in heaven, as his his name is holy, and it's that that we actually lean toward. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth. And that acknowledges that the world is rebellious. It's in need of redemption. And that as we pray for God's deliverance and human obedience, that we're following in the path of Jesus. Yeah. I, I think those are our two weapons, prayer and politics, by being the manifestation of the sacrament of God's kingdom on earth. And I and I also just kind of want to want to circle back as well to the prayer thing where because I especially because I was the one who said like thoughts and prayers. Um, I think <laughs> because I do think that's a cop out, and I I think like prayer ought to move us towards something, um, in a meaningful way. Otherwise, it probably is just a cop out. Like prayer isn't about getting what we want from God. I think I've said earlier in this season, like God, like prayer isn't some like you put like prayers punching in your passcode on the debit card machine. And like God's this holy ATM and just like outcome the blessings or outcome what we want. Like prayer, I think, Linda, you kind of said, use the same word as about like alignment. It's it's a means yeah. of aligning ourselves to the will of God, to to draw near to God so that we begin to see the world the way God sees it. Um, what for, for, for whatever reason that reminds me of, um, I remember praying often in my life, like God, break my heart, break our heart for what breaks your, not a, as some sort of like martyrdom masochistic complex, but I want to see the world through, through your lens. How do you view the world? Because that will help, where that pain is, right? If, if we look at Jesus as the example, you know, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Okay, well, because there was something there, there was a reason that Jesus came to where he came. So it's like, well, where, what do we see? Where, where is the pain that we can diagnose? Where is, you know, compassion is to suffer with? Where is the suffering we can come alongside, and throw an arm around a shoulder? Um, and it's not just words to the, you know, the sky God, but it's, okay, this prayer has now aligned my heart and it's not just a matter of me talking to God and also listening to God, but it's my heart has been aligned in such a way that I must act. Well, I, th I think you're pointing on a perfect example. I mean, you're actually quoting, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but you're quoting Bob Pierce, the founder of World Vision, back in the late 50s, mid late 50s, after the Korean conflict, when South Korea, it's hard to believe now because they're such a kind of economic juggernaut, but they were utterly devastated and impoverished. Sure. It was a very poor And Bob Pierce said, oh God, break my heart for the things that break the heart of God. And out of that came World Vision, mm. right? And I'm not saying World Vision is the ideal place, but it's pretty significant. Sure. And, you know, the, the issues of political advocacy, the issues of poverty alleviation, the issues of microfinance and and... And, um, you know, responding in regard to devastations and crises and relief, all of that comes out of that prayer, right? It's, so in a sense, if we're not the answer, 
to the prayer that we pray, we're wonder, it, it, one wonders if we've actually know how to pray to this God who wants, who desperately, so mm -hmm. desperately wants to use us. Sure. See, I think it's kind of funny because like that's a very eloquent, uh, a very important prayer. But like to me in the same breath, one of my favorite prayers is like, Lord, treat me like an idiot because I'm a dumbass and I just need you to show me like what your will is, what your way is in this moment, because I just I need that. You know, like I I don't have it. And I think it's it's funny where the range of what it can be and where it is and how prayer I think is often such a human, like such an incredible human thing. And in a way that we image this God and this, this way of being this incredible power, this, yeah, I would say this incredibly powerful, pathetic thing where it's base is just being relational and fully present in that moment right then and there. And I well, think like, that's yeah, huge. it's it's a it's an incredible act of desperation and dependency, isn't it? It you you know it's like I mean like they say you know there's no ability. Yeah, there's no there's no um, whether or not this is true, people can take take issue with this, but the general impulse there are no atheists in foxholes. It's like you you shoot up prayers because you're getting shot at, and who else can help you? Right. Or whenever you've got a child uh, who's dying of 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 some disease. Right. I mean, it's tragic. What do you do? You pray. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, that's some sort of, of thing that we're kind of lauding. It's a desperate, difficult place to be, but it's a natural inclination because we're desperate right. and we're we're dependent. And we have it's like what you're saying, J.M. It, we don't have it within us to do this. The weird thing about the church is it's most powerful when it recognizes it's most powerless. Mm -hmm. right? And you do that through prayer. You become most political when you're not trying to seize political power, but you're trying to be a prophet um, who's willing to suffer and die in the hands of a God who cares. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what the church should teach itself to do. That's what our preaching should focus on. That's what our Bible studies focus If we studied, if we focused deeply on the themes of this story, that's what we would be focusing on because it's everywhere in the Bible. Right. And we've seen that as we've been looking over our shoulders these last many ep episodes, but we've missed it because we're wanting to operate according to the world system. We're wanting to just be another club. And we are called to be this unusual, easily dismissed, pathetic, you know, dependent, um, you know, kind of utterly, even almost disappointed in ourselves, but not disappointed in what we've tapped into, so that in the midst of that, nonetheless, we know that miracles can flow through us. Again, we become a sacrament, an outward invisible sign of an inward and, and, and spiritual visitation. It's not about us. It's all about gift. And remember, that's where we started. We started with grace. Yep. Grace is gift. Mm -hmm. Well, what is that whole uh, pastor's joke, right? Where it says that um, God spoke to Balaam through his ass. So yeah. if God chooses to use you, don't think too highly of yourself. Something like right. that. You know, I think like that's always like some corny pastor's joke. I think I've heard my dad tell like, you know, 50 times in my childhood. <laughs> right. And I, I think in a sense, uh, but that doesn't mean we're anemic. Um 
because because primarily we're tapped into something that's so powerful. Right. But mm-hmm. the power looks different. We've, we've spent a bunch of episodes looking at this. We've got to look like what we've just explored, right? We've we got don't. to look. We do not. I think that's like a cultural thing that maybe we really need to be. And again, this is like the like-minded deviance, right? The the, right. the Peter Berger quote is like, we huddle together to remind ourselves of what is true. Because what we mm-hmm. see, it's like being um, inundated with all of these advertisements. Oh, and so... And we've been told, oh, the church needs to be X, Y, and Z. And the reality is, like, I think the whole, like, the church doesn't need to be put this beautifully put together, right? I think of, like, even prayer, right? Prayer is often put together. Like you said, Lindy, um, there are no there are no atheists in foxholes, right? That's this right. raw, you're, you're at your, like, you're at your most vulnerable, and it's this raw moment, and the prayer is authentic and as genuine as it comes. And the church is not a good representation of that historically often. And, and and what I mean by that is like, we, we, you know, everyone wears a mask, right? We, we wear our Sunday best. And again, there's, there's no problem with wearing your best clothes to church. And that's great. But like, if that is like a facade as a way of masking yourself and hiding your real self from not just others, but also God, that's problematic. And we do that with the language, the way people talk, people have like a prayer voice and, oh God, I beseech thee. And like, we don't talk like that to other people. Why should we talk to God that way? And I think there's this really put together, bow on it, tied up nicely aspect of prayer. um, And that makes both our prayer and kind of the outpouring a result of, because right, I think what I'm hearing you say, Lindy, is essentially like our prayer ought to inform our politics, which is prayer aligns our minds with God and the politics is the working out of that. And if mm-hmm. our prayer is faulty and phony, our politics are going to be that way too. And that's, that's problematic. Right. And, 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 and also we've got to reshape what our politics are. And I'm not talking about aligning ourselves with a particular party or whatever. I'm talking Absolutely. about aligning ourselves with the style of power of this God. And that will lurch you in a particular political direction. It probably will violate every political party you encounter, but it will actually be a political move. Why? Because it's a it's a, it's it's about who owns things. It's about um, how they should be handled, and it's about what power really looks like. And of course, power really looks like for this God, um, dying and serving and giving yourself to another. It's actually not seizing power. It's actually serving power. And heading to the margins toward the poor and the and the and the despondent and the ignored. That's what power looks like, and that's where the church should be. I mean, honestly, I, if I can be so bold, in the United States, and I, I hate to say this if, because it'll land on a lot of people, but I think it's truth. The fact that the vast majority of our churches are in the wealthy suburbs is an mm-hmm. indictment. Yeah, the church should not be in those places. Those are places of comfort. The church should be in places where no one else will go. Why? Not because you've got a special calling, but because you follow this God. You've got the general calling. This is where the church should be. And how you'll say, that's difficult. That's hard. That's going to be too costly. Well, first of all, that's the God you, call, you follow. But secondly, yeah, it's too difficult for you. It'll drive you to prayer. <laughs> you're, you're not up to it. I know it. I'm not up to it either. But God didn't call us because we're up to it. Sure. God called us because we're willing to tap in to the infusement of power from this God that allows us to be greater than what we ever could be, because this is how he fashioned us. Well, 
like also what really frustrates me is this like reductionistic view of what prayer actually is it's not just a private conversation or a conversation in your head or a conversation within your church group it's like actions are prayers what you do can be prayers we are called to do more than just pray with words in our heads outside of it and it frankly makes me really angry because the church that we see at least of my childhood you know the one where you know we talk about being the recovering evangelicals is a church that was you know a whole body but really not a whole lot more than a mouth Mm, that was really good at being loud and really good that at I guess finding ways politically to reinforce their power, but a wrong power, right? That uh, mm-hmm. that ring that wearing it for so long will make you spread over like butter over too much toast. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. And we've so fallen in love with that that I think it it is it's really sad and sickly because we should know better. And what we've done is we've bastardized. I think in the eyes of the mass public, like what the role of the church and Christ is within politics and how we do this and how we do. Well, and it gets back to basic understandings. They're not, they're not easy, but it's the stuff we've been rolling through these many episodes. It's the issue of what is the kingdom of God? Right. You know, what is the reign of God? What is the dream of God? What does it mean for God to extend God's grace to us and gift to us and to save us so so lavishly? What does it mean for God to love us in a way that that surrenders upon the cross? That's that that is that's epitomized by death on a on, on a Roman state in, uh, death instrument. What does it mean for justice to not be blind, but it's justice that sees the poor and goes to the margins? Right? And that this becomes what we are supposed to be um, announcing, that we are supposed to be evincing, that we're supposed to be dramatizing. And it gets into these, that's, what, that's why we're a sacrament, an outward invisible sign of this inward and spiritual good news of the kingdom. And then we do, we, we function in these three different ways. That, so we, we do acts of justice, and that'll get us in trouble. I mean, the church that's faithful is always in trouble, not because we're trying to be bad girls and boys, but because the fact that it's not aligned with the cosmos. And whenever you challenge the powers that be, they attack back. And so we will be the suffering community if we're faithful. And that's not a good promise, but it is a promise. They will, just like they persecuted the prophets before you, they will persecute you. So, because that's what they did to me, Jesus said. We will be the persecuted community. We will be politically unaligned. But that's why, uh, JSF, that's why, along the lines of what you said, we've got to huddle together. We've got to be collective. You know, the, 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 the term saint is never used in the singular in the New Testament. Mm. Stephen Charles Mott says that one is a saint in connection with one's relatedness to others in Jesus Christ. And but in collectively, we can we can be this reposit, this salt and light in communities in these these different ways. And when the church is collective and healthy, it becomes a prophetic, leavening, and faithful visitation of God. We become what again Mott calls the avant-garde of the reign of, of God. You know, avant-garde means the front line. You know, we we become this 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 forward thinking. We demonstrate and serve the demand and promise of God for human society. 
And we then array ourselves against all these things. And this leads us to then where we went next. We, we looked at capitalism, we looked at socialism, we looked at the issues of economics and money. This kind of a thing will say money is not the ultimate goal. You do not seek first money. You right. seek first justice and God's kingdom, and all other things will be added to you as you need them. We will dethrone mammon. Mammon will shrivel, as, as, as Burkhoff says in his, his powerful book on this, mammon will shrivel down to finances. Conventional morality will shrivel to a set of rules of thumb, subject to criticism and limited in scope and authority. Changing customs, slogans, and isms of the movement are, will be seen as ideas which are merely in the air, worth no more and no less than the older slogans that they've replaced. Where the victorious kingship of Christ is confessed, there prevails a consistent unbelief in the utility of military power, and national and international armament is at the, at the most grudgingly accepted as a bitter duty of responsible citizenship. And he ends this way, anxiety before the fearsome future gives way to a simple carefulness, since we know that the future as well is in God's hands. Now, this is a guy who's writing at the end of the 30s when the Nazis were marching across Europe, and he's a European, right? But he, it, this is what the church is. You know, the confessing church under, under Bonhoeffer, who stood against the Nazi regime, regime the church that stood against the, uh, the, the, the racist white South um, and, and bomb churches, the church that just continued to stand against apartheid in South Africa. Yeah, they lost people. We call them martyrs. Right. The Greek word, martyrion, it means a witness. This is what the church will be. But you know, if we want to make a, 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 a mark for the kingdom of God, we need to do it this way because this follows in the, the wake of the great cloud of witnesses along the path of the one who is the author and perfecter of our faith. It's Jesus. So this is what we're supposed to do. And if we started doing that, we wouldn't be scoffed at. Even if we did things wrong, we would be an amazing witness, not to be bragged upon, but to change the world. And people would come to us. They would come and they'd tug on our, on, on our cloak and they'd say, we want to go with you for we've heard that God is with you. Like the holy uh, reconstituted uh, post-exilic uh, community of, uh, of, of, of Jewish community in Zechariah. It says, whenever you establish justice, whenever you start fasting from injustice and take care of the orphan and the widow, in that day, many people from many nations will come and tug on your robe and say, we want to go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. That's what will happen. We know it would happen if we started uh, living in a radical way. This is radical. That's why we're the answer. Yeah, and we're, we're the answer because God works in ways that we don't expect, right? And I think I, I've said this before, but like we act as if like effectiveness is some sort of like quantitative bottom line. But God doesn't right. work that way. Um, and when you nope. looked at like the narrative of Jesus um, and the life of Jesus, you know, um, the zealots and Judas Iscariot were hoping Jesus was going to take up a sword and become this King David 2.0. Right, right. And and he's going to lead them in this holy war and take back the the empire, or not the empire, but to take back Jerusalem and, and the kingdom. 
and then he instead of that like like Judas betrays him after he's washed his feet. Right. Right. That, you know, so it's like Judas has betrayed him and, and he's been served by him. And so it's this like it's this weakness. It is this kind of, you know, I've talked about before, like vulnerability being the currency of the divine. I think that is how God works. And and really we're we're hitting on that a lot in this episode is when we are vulnerable, when we are in the foxhole, when we are raw and authentic right. and at our core being genuine with God, that is this place of We are pathetic. We are making ourselves available in such a way that we can be used. We are willing to die. Die to self, die for others, die for God. And and the good news, the mystical good news is, Jesus tells us, just before he turned his face and headed toward Jerusalem, that those who are willing to die are the ones who actually will live. That by losing our lives, we will actually gain it. And there's a deep paradoxical calculus nested in the midst of that that we know is true we know it's true and that's why it seems so despicable when we only live for ourselves when we only live when the church gets wrapped up in mammon when it gets aligned with a worldly political power when it starts to glorify you know uh, celebrities and we call them pastors or evangelists whenever they gather themselves um you know uh uh, you know, wealth, you know, expensive jets and big buses and what have you. That is not, you know, ride on a donkey, pal. I mean, that's what your Lord did. Let's, yeah. let's take up the cross. And as we gather together with that co common ethic, honestly, without a doubt, just like it happened in the early centuries, we will get attacked. We will, we will suffer because that's what the pathetic God calls us to do. But in the midst of that, we will actually be a witness that cannot be snuffed out. And I think that's what um, is, is, there's a hunger for that now. Um, we will also tend the garden. We will realize that irrespective of what socialism or capitalism says, we own nothing. The church doesn't own anything. We are stewards for this God who has entrusted things to us. And we need to find out continually. Remember, prayer study of the scriptures, we need to find out continually what God wants us to do in real time with this stuff, especially for the poor. We should, we should be a church that allows for um, kind of proverbial gleaning around our areas. I, I remember in Indonesia when I was there, and this is an embarrassment for the church, the mosque, most mosques in Indonesia, in the villages, were never locked. So if you were outside the, you know, the regional cities and you came to the city and you had to try to find a job and scrape it out by pulling a rickshaw or whatever, and you'd sleep in it at night, you had no place. Many times you left your family back there. You were sending remittances, paltry remittances back home to your family, and we were just barely scraping by. At the very least, you knew you could probably sleep in the mosque if you needed to. Or if you didn't sleep there, you could go in there and bathe. You could go in there and drink. You could get water. You would probably, they'd probably give you some food. They didn't lock the doors and worried that you were going to steal stuff inside. Why isn't the church that way? I mean, we don't, Jesus wouldn't lock doors. Right? I mean, Jesus wouldn't pay it, it wouldn't lock the poor out. 
all the parables that Jesus told was to go outside the walls and compel them to come and sit at the banquet table. Right. If our churches started doing that, I mean, if only 1% of, of the church in the United States started radically, collectively, prayerfully, and politically doing this, I assure you, the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Boston Globe would start paying attention. We'd get press. That wouldn't be the goal. But people would know, because this is an odd thing to do. Yeah. And you probably wouldn't curry favor with any of your political representatives in Washington, D.C., because they don't want to do this stuff. This is why people like Dorothy Day are so popular. Not because she walked an easy road, but because she walked she walked the pathetic road. And that's what we need to be. That's what we need to do. Yeah. And if 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 we became this sort of uh, of people, then ultimately we would actually just turn the tables over and new people would start to recognize they don't have to live for mammon. They don't have to live for 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 riches. They don't have to live for status. They don't have to live for for um, being an influencer on 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 their their favorite you know social media device, sure. because they instead of being an influencer, they need to be influenced by the spirit of God, and lose themselves for the kingdom. Yeah, I think I think that if we want to see the power of the church. Right. If we want to see the answer, right? The if we're if this season has been this long arc in a in the form of a question, and the answer is us. If we want to see yep. the power of the church, of us, then that will be seen in the measure of our surrender. Right. Not in bodacious shows or these, you know, puffing of our chest, look at us, look at us, but just like it makes me think of the of the story of um you know, where where was was God in the earthquake or the fire? No, God was mm -hmm. in the still small voice. So it's not no. this great showing, but rather it is in the surrender, in the quiet. Well, it's again, it's the whispers of prayer. But it, it's it's the whispers of prayer become political and become powerful. They move you to do, by the world standards, crazy things, because they're not going for prestige and position. Instead, they're going for foot washing, and crucifixion. And when that occurs, there will be a shift in the power of the world. Who else is doing this? Who else is trying to do this? Otherwise, we become just another club. And I don't, I don't think the answer to the crackness of the universe, to the environmental movement and the discord we've got, not just in our country, but throughout the world, and the rise of fascism and the rise of xenophobia and all of the different social problems, I don't think the answer to all of that is a club. I think it's the outward invisible sign of God's actual martyred visitation in our midst and we show that god is with us emmanuel this god walks with us and we can show that to others we have to do it collectively right it, it, it this is not rugged individualism and this is not asserting our power you know it's like it's like jm said we got to rethink what prayer is 
prayer is something. I mean, Paul told us to pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that we should not be involved. I mean, look at Paul's life. He didn't just stop and stay in his prayer closet all the time. It means we should be a prayer. Okay? We should be the prayer of God.